This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Mike Yuseem, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Hey, welcome everybody to Leadership in Action, Sirius XM's business radio powered by our school, the Wharton School. I'm Mike Yuseem, director of the Center for Leadership, and I work with the McNulty Leadership Program. And with me is my good friend and the uh, deputy director of the McNulty Leadership Program as well, our third colleague, Jeff uh, Klein. Uh, we've let off for the evening. He's, he's somewhere, but in any case, Anne, great to be here in the studio with you, and I just want to give our listeners a very quick uh, heads up here, and then I've got a question for you, Anne, as we customarily begin our program. Uh, We're going to be talking about a really interesting book, and it's got an amazing title, The Trillion Dollar Coach. A Trillion Dollar Coach. Uh, He must be, either he charges that much or that's the value (laughs) he gives, but uh, however you want to cut it. Uh, he must be very impactful, and uh, it, he is. From a look at the book, we have two of the three authors here uh, to talk with us about the book tonight. I'm going to introduce them in just a minute, but before that, and to take a chapter out of the book. Yes, ready, Mike. Okay, Bill Campbell, often when he would begin a, a senior staff meeting, I think even uh, sometimes uh, board meetings, he was CEO after having been a football coach earlier in his career, and instead of talking about uh, struggles in the market, earnings per share, what people tend to talk about if they get right to business, Bill Campbell would ask each person in the room to tell everybody else about their weekend. So uh, with that as a pretty good principle, I really like that. Um, We're a bit away from your past weekend, but we're coming on a big weekend what have you got planned for Labor Day? Well, actually, Mike, I have some special mm. plans, mm. and uh, it's uh, actually I realize it's apropos because the title of the book is Trillion Dollar Coach, and that brings up a sports theme. Labor Day is my birthday, September 2nd. Ooh. So it's a double holiday. It's a Labor Day and a birthday, plus, Mike, I share a birthday with none other than Merle Reese. Oh, whoa. <laughs> and my middle name is Merrill, just like Merrill Reese. <laughs> awesome. And and let me just make a statement. It's great to turn 40. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. In fact, I'm starting to do what my grandmother did, which is to subtract years <laughs> with every right. birthday. I- exactly. You get younger rather than older. Each, each year, you're one year <laughs> you take, younger. Exactly. Yeah, I, it's I've been, great. I've been doing that for a little while, too. <laughs> Hey, let me encourage people to give us a call if they'd like to engage in a discussion with our two very interesting guests. It's 844-942-7866. So with that, delighted to welcome Jonathan Rosenberg and Alan Eagle to tonight's program. Hello, guys. Hello, Mike. Hello, Ann. This is Jonathan. And this is Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. All right. Thank you for joining us. Great to have you both. Let me uh, remind our listeners again of the title of your book, Trillion Dollar Coach, subtitle, The Leadership Playbook of Silicon's Bill Campbell. 
And uh, I was, as I recall, uh, Jonathan and Alan, pretty early on, you say um, he's one of the most influential people in Silicon Valley that nobody outside of the Valley has heard of. Um, having gotten through a good bit of the book, um, it is a delightful read and an informative read. And that's going to be our topic tonight. Let me just say a word about, I'll start with you, Alan, and a word about Jonathan. You've been a director of executive communications at Google since joining the firm back in 07. In your current role, you oversee a, a set of Google's sales programs and the company's PartnerPlex Client Experience Center. Uh, I see, Alan, that you come out of Northern California, and you spent a couple years here doing your MBA degree a little while back. Jonathan, you first met Larry Page and Sergey Brin, the founders, back in 2000. Uh, they pestered you to come and work. You turned them down a couple times, but finally accepted. And uh, after, I, I think, a, almost a two-year stretch in your conversation, and you've served as senior VP at Google and ran Google product team until April 11. And now you're an, uh, an advisor to Alphabet uh, Senior Management. So, Alan and Jonathan, uh, welcome to the program. Really anxious to hear about, uh, well, not only about Bill Campbell, but yourselves as well. Let's start with Bill, though. Uh, for listeners who indeed have not heard of the Trillion Dollar Coach, um, Alan, why don't you start and just give us a little bit of a bio sketch? Sure. Um, thank you. So Bill Campbell, uh, as you mentioned, was a football coach for the first 12 years of his career. He went to Columbia, graduated from Columbia, and worked as a football coach at Boston College and at Columbia. And... Um, uh, wasn't very successful as a coach, but for 12 years he was a football coach. And then at age 39 in 1980, he left Columbia and entered the business world. Uh, he worked for J. Walter Thompson briefly and for Kodak for a while. And along the way, he met a gentleman named John Scully. And when John mm -hmm. came west to California to take over as CEO of Apple from Steve Jobs, John remembered this guy, Bill Campbell, and he invited Bill to come west with him to run sales and marketing at Apple. Uh, Bill was part of the Macintosh launch and did very well at Apple. And then he left Apple to become CEO of a firm called Claris, which was an Apple mm -hmm. startup, uh, or, or sorry, spinoff. Uh, he ran a startup called Go, and then he eventually became CEO of Intuit in the latter uh, half of the 90s. So that was really the second phase of Bill's career. And then around 99, he stepped down as CEO of Intuit. He stayed on as chairman for quite a while, and he started advising companies around the valley. When Steve Jobs came back to uh, Apple, and I think it was 1997 as CEO, Bill was the first person he brought onto the board. And so mm. Bill worked very closely with the Apple team, Steve and the Apple team, to rebuild Apple. Remember, Apple was almost bankrupt at the time. Yep. And in 2001, when um, Eric joined Google, John Doerr, who is a well-known venture capitalist here in the Valley, uh, suggested that Eric take on a coach and that um, Bill become Eric's coach. And he did, and he really coached the entire Google senior management team as they grew the company. So we really could have called the book $2 trillion coach. Because <laughs> if you add up the market caps of Google, Apple, Intuit, and other companies that uh, Bill worked with, it was over $2 trillion, but <clears throat> we thought a trillion was enough. 
You know, Alan, we're on the same page. Uh, since you've been here, we've introduced a coaching program for all of our MBA students, and we do that on the premise that there is high impact not only from coursework that we offer, of course, but also from personal coaching. Uh, Jonathan, let me get you to then maybe pick up on, a, um, I guess, a, a, almost an obvious question as I look at the title. Uh, the roster of people that Bill coached before he passed away a couple of years ago is indeed impressive. It, it ranges from the Steve Jobs to Sheryl Sandberg, the number two person over there at Facebook. And if you could just, again, to people who have not been coached, have not seen it, don't really know it, what exactly does did Bill do with his, I guess I would call them clients, the people he was uh, coaching at that time, what does he do when he sits down with them in an office? Sometimes he would take them for a walk, but um, what happens when you meet with your coach? Sure. Um well, you know, the first thing that Bill did that I think was unlike any management relationship that I'd had was he comes in and he finds a way to build what we call an envelope of trust with people very, very quickly. And he's picky and choosy. He only coaches people who he actually believes are coachable. Hmm. Uh, there, there are some people who he defines as not coachable, who he's not actually willing to meet with. And he comes in and kind of like a football coach uh, breaking down players who come to college. He figures out what your weaknesses are. He understands what your strengths are. Most importantly, he understands the role that you're going to play within the team that he's trying to coach. And one of the things that we discovered in writing the book is that Bill was much more than a coach of us as individuals. He was a coach of the management team, and he coached us in the context of our role within that team. And so what he would do would be he would come in and kind of like you just started your interaction with Ann with, you know, a trip report. You know, what did she do this weekend? He would start a meeting in a very folksy way. He'd ask you what you did that weekend. He'd talk to you about your family. He'd establish a link between the conversation that you'd had the last time understanding what your goals were. Maybe he'd share something that made him vulnerable, one of his own struggles. And then he would get you to start talking. And he really, when he listened, you know, he would really listen. He, he would engage in active listening. He would show you that he was hearing what you were saying. And then everything he would say to you would be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In the book, hmm. we call it Speak you know, with no gap between statement and facts. And then when he needed to get you to improve, he wouldn't say, gee, Jonathan, you're bad or X or, at X or Y or Z. He'd tell you a story. He really knew that narrative was how you get people to learn. And so he'd share those stories with you, and then he would push you to get better by showing you examples from his own career or other places that he felt would resonate with you when he was trying to really get you to understand what you needed to do differently. And this element of team coaching was really a revelation to us as we were doing research for the book. You know, Bill liked to say business is a team sport. Hmm. And in his work here at Google, in his work at Apple, in his work at other companies, he wouldn't just meet with the CEO or with one individual. He'd meet with the entire team. And he would tell 
uh, you know, he would tell the senior person, hey, I'm going to meet with people on your team and I'm not going to tell you what we're talking about because we need to have trust and confidentiality, confidentiality to be an effective coach. Uh, but we really realized that Bill was really instrumental in, in not just helping Jonathan be successful as an individual or Eric as an individual, but the senior management team to come together and work as a team. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, business is a team sport, and why don't we have team coaches? You know, a basketball team has a coach, a soccer team has a coach. Business teams need coaches, too. Hmm. Great. And let's bring you in. Very good. Thank you, Mike. And uh, Jonathan, Allen. it's a pleasure to have a chance to speak with you. Mike mentioned uh, earlier that we have a coaching program for our executive MBAs and our MBAs. And we have also introduced coaching into our uh, executive uh, education programs here at Wharton. But I'm also going to add and lead into my question that we have a program called the Penn Athletic Wharton Leadership Academy, nicknamed Paula, in which we ask student athletes to try to um, develop their leadership on and off the field, both. So here during their academic careers, and we hope beyond. So my question is, what do you think that Bill learned from coaching? And I understand he was, he was in terms of wins and losses, uh, less successful as a, as a football coach than he was as an executive coach. But nonetheless, what was it that he learned from that experience that he was able to translate uh, to senior, coaching senior management? Well, I'll go first. This is Alan. Uh, it was all about the team. Um, you know, and you have different roles on a team, and you have some stars, and you have some people that are barely making the team. But everybody needs to come together and put the success of the team, make the success of the team as, as paramount. Um, and so I think, you know, Jonathan talked about what would Bill look for in people. He'd look for coachability. Mm-hmm. The other thing he looked for in people was people that would really put the mm-hmm. team first and cheer for others on the team and then genuinely care about their success. And occasionally, you know, you, uh, you, you lose in teams. You, you lose a decision, but you rally around the decision as a good teammate should. So really, and I think that came straight from football. Yeah, I think another thing from football, which is different than other sports, is football has a playbook, and, 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 and each play is choreographed, and each player has a role, and the players need to trust each other. And those were very important elements in the way Bill kind of thought about coaching people in a business environment. You know, he would often see, he loved the John Wooden quote, you know, it's amazing how much can get done if nobody worries about taking credit. And Bill really deeply understood that. And he understood that he needed each player to trust the other player and that everything was about picking the right players. And, you know, one of the things he would teach us here is that when there's a problem, the first thing you need to do is work the team and not the problem. Mm, And in most executive environments, you know, in a senior uh, management team, something comes up and we all look around the room and we all think we're there because we're smart and we all want to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Bill would always have us all step back and he would say, you know, no, we need to make sure we have the right team on the field. It's not the smartest person in the room here who's going to solve the problem. It's the team that we actually set up with the action item to take the next steps. So he really had this understanding of how to build teams, 
how, when and where to force decisions, um, you know, how to attack the biggest problem in the moment and define the elephant in the room, <laughs> Great. Um, you know, which in a football situation, the other team is bigger than we are. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. The other team's quarterback, you know, is faster than, than our safety. Um, you know, he would just come right out and say these things and then you could figure out how to address them. And I think that those were things that he learned in football. Oh, so good. Thank you. I'm going <clears> to <throat> break in just for a moment, a community of speakers here, uh, to help our listeners uh, know exactly where they are at the moment. This is Leadership in Action, Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm your host, Mike Usain, here with my friend and co-host, Ann Greenhall. And we are in conversation with Alan Eagle and Jonathan Rosenberg, co-authors of the book, Trillion Dollar Coach, The Leadership Playbook, of Silicon Valley's Bill Campbell. And Jonathan and Ellen, my eye, of course, this is leadership in action, really picked yeah. up on what followed the colon, the leadership playbook. And indeed, it is a book of leadership plays. If you could pick out a couple of the ideas, there, there are a lot of them in there, including asking people about their weekend when you sit down, that uh, you learn from Bill so help us appreciate um, a couple more thoughts that are on his playbook, especially if you hadn't thought about them before, before he brought them to sure. you. Well, I'll, I'll start. Let me just though, give you a little context about that trip report dynamic. Bill really encouraged Eric Schmidt to start every meeting with trip reports. And what we learned hmm. was that that really gives everyone an opportunity to kind of break down the barriers between people and and still provide feedback that relate to the mm. business. So, you know, I went to mm. India. Well, what's the infrastructure for broadband services like there? What search engines do they use there? What kind of mobile phones do they use there? What did I do, right? So it wasn't just I went on a hike and had a good time. It was <laughs> where did you go, what did you do, and what are observations that you have that are relevant to your colleagues? And what that does is it starts the meeting where all of the functional leads are kind of showing up, girding for battle with their peers <laughs> and, and ready to fight, and instead gets them onto a field where, mm. you know, they're establishing mm -hmm. some camaraderie and esprit de corps across the team. And it's surprising how many companies I've shared that suggestion of Bill, from Bill's playbook with and how they tell me after doing it for a few weeks it significantly improves the dynamic, uh, and even in cases where they're not talking about things that are relevant to the business, they're just talking about what they did, it makes a big difference. Um, let me give you a couple of my other uh, top Bill favorites, Great. <laughs> uh, particularly in leadership. You know, one of the quotes that we have is, your title makes you a manager, but your people make you a leader. <laughs> That's <And> nice. <laughs> Bill felt very strongly that that you become a leader by having your team elect you captain of the team by virtue of observing you doing a great job of management. And so to him, you know, what was that? That was running your one-on-ones with people right, having a formula for one-on-ones. His formula was talk about performance against the job, talk about relationships with your peers, 
talk about innovation, and talk about your management techniques. So he had a very clear structure for how you go about doing these things, and he had very clear structure for things like how you'd get a group to make a decision, um, you know, which is what an, another one of the things. Mm. Maybe that's one of Alan's favorites. But yeah, well, and if you think about it, we all approach one-on-ones as just, hey, let's get in a room and talk about things. But no, he had a real structure. Um, he also, you know, if you're looking for simple tactics, he told Jonathan to pair people up on things. Hmm. So if you're planning an offsite, or if you're, you know, you're looking into a, new, a strategy in a new product area, don't just have one person do it. Have two people do it, even if one person it's not maybe in their direct, uh, you know, area, because. By working together on something, they'll get to know each other, they'll get to trust each other, and that way when you have a more contentious decision to make, you've already, you, you've got people that trust each other and know each other a little bit. So just a simple tactic, uh, pair people, uh, you know, can be really powerful. Um, and, you know, pretty much everything we have in this book are, are, are both simple, but thing, people, things that people often don't do. So, you know, none of this is rocket science or incredible breakthrough knowledge, but they're all simple principles uh, that are that people forget to do, but will make you a much better leader. You know, Alan and Jonathan, it took us quite a <laughs> bit longer than apparently for you. I wish we had our own Bill Campbell on that last point of finding the way forward by talking with somebody else, putting two people on a project. And I and Ann both do a fair amount yeah. of uh, co-writing now, and I have to say it's a marvel. You've got somebody yeah, yeah. else uh, kind of uh, working through. Right. They'll bring the problem in, in t- uh, to your office um, to work it through. Let me uh, take, though, oh, that last – yeah, go ahead. Hey, Mike, the thing he did there that was really clever is he would pair people on layups, on things that were easy. Huh. Alan mentioned, you know, planning an offsite, right? I mean, I had people working for me who were very high caliber people. You know, Susan Wojcicki, who's now the CEO of YouTube, Marissa Meyer, who ran Yahoo, Sundar Pichai, who's now the CEO of Google. And it almost seemed silly and demeaning for me to say, oh, Sundar, why don't you work with Marissa on planning our next offsite? <laughs> but Bill would know that in a month, Marissa and Sundar had something they needed to work together on that was going to be very contentious. And so he would be forcing me to get them to build that relationship so that when they faced that contentious problem, they'd had positive experiences working together. Yeah. Uh, I so appreciate your underscoring that point. And um, Mike knows that I work a lot with the incoming students here at Wharton, including the freshmen, who I find very endearing. And we put them right away as soon as they walk in on project teams in, work, in which they work with uh, uh, clients, hosts in the greater Philadelphia area on a service engagement. And I really have to say, now these are, of course, you know, they're very, they're very good students. They're high achieving. And they might tend to be task focused. So, and, you know, Mm -hmm. their first thought is, okay, what do we have to do? (laughs) And what I've found is just in the spirit of Bill Campbell, if I can get them to think about building a relationship with each other first before they dive into the work in hand, I can be pretty assured that the end product, the deliverable, will be superior 
than if they dive into the work first. And so I, I really just so appreciate your um, yeah. underscoring that point. I'm wondering if you can say um, you've given one approach on building relationship. I'm interested to know um, co- about his conversations on management technique. Can, do you have an example you might share on that? Sure. Um, you know, I think one is just the way he would get groups to, you know, decide and, and, and you know, and, and deal with situations in a meeting where you had something contentious. He would really, you know, he'd, he'd get the elephant out of the room. He'd point out the elephant in the room right away. And then he would make sure that everybody had an opportunity to share their opinion. And he'd make sure that all of the people in the room were participating. He didn't like meetings where there were people that were just there because they felt they needed to observe. You know, you'd always <laughs> want to make sure that the quiet person in the corner got to share his or her view and that the meeting also started with data before people started arguing about their opinions. And then what he would do, his management technique would be, he would have a sense when this was just becoming a gripe session. And he'd want to then stop the gripe session by making a decision and not allowing the uncertainty around the decision to fester. So he had this real gift for now is the moment to make the decision. And he would make the decision by not saying Joe was smarter than Mary or Jonathan was right and Alan was wrong. He would say, what are the first principles that we hold to be self-evident that are in our culture that we've defined as our values, right? At Google, we would often say, focus on the user, right? Or the user comes first. So when we were trying to decide in a meeting on how to launch Google Instant, which was which when you type into Google now, um, today, what you're looking for, we're, all, we're immediately trying to disambiguate and fill the page with search results for you. And when we were first launching that, a lot of people were afraid that that would adversely impact ad revenue. And we were having this big debate. And eventually, there were, half the people were on one side and half the people were on the other. And Bill basically said, well, what's the right thing for the user? What would the user want you to do? You say that's your your, you know, guiding light. And that will give you the answer. You obviously need to launch this. It's an improvement. So he was very good at not personalizing these things and picking a side, but making a decision and referring to a rule book, if you will, Mm -hmm. that, that had the source of how we were making that decision. To him, those things weren't posters on the wall. Right. You know, when he said, people... You know, it's the people, support people, trust people, respect people. He put those things on the wall, but then he would go back to them and he'd say, you're not behaving that way. And he'd make <laughs> you behave that way. <laughs> so you know, great. We talked about the decision process. You know, what do you do as managers? You make decisions. And, um, you know, Marissa told us this anecdote where, look, Marissa is the smartest person in the room. She's always the smartest person in the room. She knows what the decision should be. And Bill made her... Mm. Not say a word until everyone else had said something. Had Great, point. In. Great point. And this is, you know, the person who's the smartest person in the room, that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. But, you know, she tells us that it helped her, you know, she learned a lot about her team. She learned about, hey, they actually had some pretty good ideas. 
And, you know, so this is a simple thing again. So she but, had to bite her tongue a little bit. Um, gentlemen, I'm going to... Also, I'm, also I'm, the subtle thing there was, <laughs> in many cases, she wasn't allowing her own people to find their way. Yeah. And what Bill would say is, you know, you can correct them at the end if they end up in the wrong place. But if they can find their way to the right place, let them get there yep. on their own. Yep. But, they, but it's not about, we also, it's not about consensus. Bill would say, I hate consensus. It's about getting to the right idea. Because people are going to disagree. And then at some point, the manager has to say, nope, this is what we're going to do. And, then, and this is cr- critical. The people, even the ones who have disagreed, have to rally around the decision. I'm really intrigued by the five leadership principles that you've laid out that you it kind of inductively derived from talking, obviously, with Bill when he was alive. He passed away a couple of years ago. But lots of people, even going back to Steve Jobs, that he did coach. The first one, just to get it going, is value people and make people feel, feel valued. We've touched on that, but say a few more words, if you wouldn't mind, about how you make people feel valued, and then what's the consequence of that in the work setting? Yeah. You know, I think this bill didn't really believe in work-life balance. He kind of (laughs) merged. Everything with him merged. He had a work relationship with you, and he had a personal relationship with you. And in a work situation, he'd talk about your personal relationship. In a personal relationship, he'd talk about your work relationship. It all sort of blended together whenever you were meeting with him. And he made you feel valued by by, you know, not only sharing your accomplishments and and pushing you to get better and showing people what a great job you were doing, but he made you feel that he cared Hmm. and he made you realize that he was listening. And he did this both both professionally and personally, you know, like uh, one of the examples I don't think we have in the book, but but my daughter played soccer and Bill was always interested in her, you know, uh, (laughs) soccer exploits. And I would send him a video uh, from the weekend where she'd, you know, score a goal. And he would always reply, and he'd say something that reflected that he actually watched it. He wouldn't just say, that's cool. He'd say, what a great goal, but who's that nut screaming goal, goal, goal behind the camera? <laughs> oh, right? Great. And, of course, that was me. <laughs> so, he'd show you. So, so what was he doing there? He was showing me that he cared about me, that he cared about my family. And what that does in a business setting is it gets people to open up. It gets people to share more. It gets people to share, to to express their vulnerabilities. And it made it easier for him to coach you. It made it easier for him to push you to do better. And, and that, that's not something that most managers do with their people. Most managers just focus on kind of control, supervise, manage, review, allocate resources, you know, give raises, give feedback. But the feedback isn't coming from the heart of a man or or a woman Mm -hmm. who you know cares about you as a person. I've got a... This is Alan. Yeah, Alan, go ahead. That is, you know, a, a word that came up many times that really surprised me in our interviews, we interviewed over 80 people who knew and worked with Bill, was the word love. So many people said they loved Bill. Um, And, you know, you don't hear that in the workplace very often. (laughs) 
and and yet that was the level of bond that he created with people and um you know just because he really cared about people and all of the things that jonathan said and that really then you know when you have that level of bond with people you've got a lot of trust you can do great things together yeah i'll give you a good i'll give you a good example of that you know he used to say to care about people you have to care and <laughs> and you know we did have managers here who didn't care and he would consider them uncoachable um there was a day that he met with me in my office, and I was running late because I was interviewing someone from New York. And, you know, when Bill Campbell shows up and you can see him through the window outside your office, you, you need to end the meeting that you're in and, and start your meeting with Bill. But Bill was talking to my admin, and her name was Sade, and, you know, was waving to me, no, go ahead, finish your meeting. So he comes in. I finished my meeting. He t you know, he took – I was five, ten minutes late. He comes in, he sits down, he says, so Rosenberg, when are you writing Sade's application, recommendations for law school? <laughs> Great. And I said, well, that's not on my to-do list, Bill. My admin is applying to law school? <laughs> exactly. You're telling me that I just met Sade five minutes ago. She's quite lovely. And I know more about her career goals than you do. <laughs> Great example. You know, so he valued, he was showing me that he valued her more than I did and that I was wrong. Yep. And he was right. And she, yep. you know, she ultimately went to Columbia Law School and is on a partner track in a big law firm now. <laughs> That's so great. Well, you know, emphasizing uh, the power of love resonates here. Uh, Mike and I have a colleague, Sagal Barsed, who's written about what she calls uh, companionate love in the workplace and speaks to, I think, exactly what you're talking about, showing genuine, deep affection and care for the people who the people who work with you. So I'm interested, though, uh, in your comment that Bill Bill's selection process then depends on you're coachable if you care. Is that a fair synopsis? Your coach. This is Alan. You're coachable if you are open to learning. OK. Caring is part of it, too. But uh, you know, it's what you know after you know it all. It's what you learn after you know it all that counts, the John Wooden quote. That's what Bill would look for. Okay. And humility. He hated arrogance, and he, want, he wanted humility. But I think Alan is right. This is Jonathan. He's in the service of being a learning animal. Okay. So I'm just curious, uh, do you have an, uh, and don't need to name names, but illustration of someone who who might have sought coaching from Bill and he turned them down. What was what was the aftermath of that? Oh, I mean, yeah, I had someone who worked for me. Um, I mean, one of them was a person who actually, you know, was a great manager um, and was constantly dinged on his uh, performance, on, on his surveys from his employees about his employees don't feel that he cares. Mm. And, you know, he, got, he did well on everything else. He's smart. He's technical. He has business vision and that sort of thing. And, and I sent him to Bill, and he had an hour booked with Bill. And Bill came back into my office the next week, and he was like, Rosenberg, why would you send me that guy? What a waste of time. <laughs> he was concerned. He wanted me to explain to him how to make sure his people understood that he cared. But you know what? To care, you have to care. He couldn't show them that he cared because he didn't care. Why'd you send him to me? And, That's you great. know, he was just that insightful about people. Um, and the other thing he believed 
you know, he really was one of these kind of Maya Angelou disciples. There's that quote, um, when someone reveals themselves to you, believe them. Hmm. Bill would test you. And if you lied, if you misrepresented something, if you took credit for something that somebody else did, that was it. You weren't coachable. He was done with you, and he wasn't interested in engaging with you again. And he figured that out about a lot of people very quickly, and he would often weed those people out. Oh, that's great. We have one, I have one other example of someone who rejected Bill's coaching at first, and that's our co-author, Eric Schmidt. Too bad Eric's not here to defend himself. (laughs) He's the exact same thing when John Doerr said, uh, I'd like you to, you know, work with Bill Campbell. And Eric and Bill had met each other a couple times over the years. Eric said, well, I like Bill a lot and I respect Bill a lot, but, but, you know, I don't need a coach. I'm Eric Schmidt. I'm the former CEO of Novell. I'm the CEO of Google. I don't need a coach. And it actually took some, you know, back and forth between them to get, uh, uh, Eric to take Bill on as a coach, and uh, he you know, would agree now that he was much better as a result. Was there something in particular that Eric learned? Uh, Eric learned that uh, not to be arrogant and that he needed a coach. Yeah. Uh, you know, not, yeah. so that's a broad answer. Well, I, I think the other thing, this is Jonathan, that I know Eric learned because I, I saw this. Um, Eric ran his staff meetings. Bill's responsibility was not to stay on the agenda. Bill, Bill would sit and watch the people in the room, and he would go to Eric after the meeting, and he would say, well, when you told everyone that we were going to do X, Jonathan bristled. I don't think he was bought in. We better talk to him. Right? Mm-hmm. He would notice things like that. Mm-hmm. And Eric, I think, learned the value of having someone else observing these things. I think he taught Eric to get better at observing those things as well. But I think Eric learned how, how much value there was to having someone else in the room who was just focused on those people dynamics and the team right. as opposed to getting the things done that we needed to get done. Very good. Let me, let me recap here a little bit, then I'm going to hand back to Mike. And uh, as Mike said at the second half of the hour, that you really uh, pull out five key principles, and we've underscored the valuing of people, make people come first. You talked about tapping into the power of love, and now you're really underscoring the importance of that team first and building the team. Mike, how about how about you? Yeah, I'm going to... Uh Jump back in as soon as I do a reset, and oh, good. I, I do need to remind people that we're on Channel 132, Sirius XM, business radio powered by the Wharton School. You're Ann Greenhall. I'm Mike Hussein, and we're in conversation with Jonathan Rosenberg and Alan Eagle, co-authors of The Trillion Dollar Coach. Give us a call if you want to jump in, 844-942-7866. And gentlemen, we're getting close to the end. I've got a couple questions that are more in the summary form of what we've covered. And by the way, it's been great. So thank you so much for laying out uh, your thinking and uh, the way you've got it captured in the book. Uh, An orthopedist here uh, on the faculty in the medical school, John Kelly, just wrote a blog on uh, that included a focus on Bill Campbell, uh, all from your book. And he compared uh what Bill argues to what Jim Collins terms a level five leader uh, defined as somebody who is really, really humble at the top, 
but incredibly committed to getting the job done for the company. So let's let that stand for just a second. It seems to me what you've offered up in this book is the roadmap for getting there. So you want to become a a level five leader in Jim Collins' terms. It seems to me the five principles you've laid out are part of the roadway there. So what, what do you think to that outside observation? Well, this is Alan. Um, I haven't read the blog post, of course. I think it sounds generally correct. One thing that um, Jonathan alluded to earlier was that uh, Bill really prized management excellence first and foremost. I really think mm-hmm. of leadership as, uh, you know, I feel funny telling my vision of leadership to you, <laughs> Professor Yusim, who's an expert on this, but my uh, equation of leadership is basically management excellence plus coaching excellence hmm. plus leadership. Um, so, good. which I think is roughly consistent with what you just said. But you know, get the basics right, run a tight ship, be a really strong manager. Yep. But then also sometimes you know, and strong managers are about efficiency and knowing the numbers and telling people what to do. And then sometimes you take that hat off and you put the coaching hat on, which is how do I get the most out of my people? How do I help them get the most out of themselves. How do I cheer for them? How do I care for them? Uh, and those are two halves of the coin, I think, that you know that uh, equates to leadership. I think this is Jonathan. I think Bill also sort of understood the Jim Collins notion of, you know, you want people who hop on the – you want to tell everyone where the bus is going hmm. because mm-hmm. you want to benefit from the selection bias of the people who hop on your bus. And Bill would be – if somebody was smart and capable – but didn't want to go where we were going, that was okay with Bill. He'd still want, you know, he'd want you to go get on another bus. Mm-hmm. So Bill was very direct and honest and open about the culture that we were setting, the place that we were going, the approach that we were going to take to winning, how we were going to get there, how we were going to treat our people, how management was going to exhibit the principles that we espoused to these people, and, and, and you know, and and you know, practice what we preached. And he was on the lookout for that all the time. And he was pretty, you know, and he was a humble guy himself. I mean, one of the things that he used to say to me, this was quite fascinating. You know, I'm not a psychologist, but he would come in and he would say, you know, Jonathan, the last month has been really difficult. Am I helping? <laughs> is, 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 is the work that I'm doing here really helping? And of course, it was, you know, it was what an absurd question, right? He was the most valuable member of the team. He was our coach, and yet he would, he would, he would at times be looking for reinforcement that that what he was yeah. doing was helping. Great point. Hmm. Really, yep. Well, I I've got you got me curious here. I have a follow up question. Uh, Mike and I have had the privilege of speaking to a number of leaders in various industries, and in, including the sports industry. And uh, I recall one of the uh, one of our guests saying that coaching is particularly in let's take football that the coaches have the greatest impact the younger the player on the individual. And that as you go up the ranks to the professionals, coaching focuses more on the team rather than on the individuals. And I'm just wondering mm-hmm. if Bill, when I'm hearing you, I'm wondering if Bill took a similar approach, that he was really focused on the team and how the individual player can contribute to that team. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think that is sort of the core thesis of the book and that other companies don't have, uh, typically don't have people who play this role. But I would disagree with the statement that the there's sort of this inverse relationship between um, how young you are um, and how much influence the coach can have. Okay. I think Bill had people like me and other people on Eric's staff who kind of did think we knew it all, and yet we were in these important roles, and Bill really broke us down and helped us realize that we could do a lot better. So, yes, I, I agree with the mm-hmm. statement that you made that he was coaching us as a team. Yes. But I disagree with the, the notion that he was unable to take senior people who had a lot of experience and teach them to be much, much mm. better. Mm. Right. He didn't look at us and think, you know, oh, Jonathan, you're 42 years old. You came to Google. You know, there's only so much more you have to learn. Yeah. He really he really made me believe that that I had a lot to learn and that he had a lot to teach me. Right. And maybe part maybe we've come full circle in a way in that part of his reminder is that you may be very senior. You may have a title and positional power. But that doesn't mean that everyone under you is going to follow you and in following you, uh, make you a leader. (laughs) Right. Uh, Helen and Jonathan, we've got just a couple of minutes here, and I'm going to get us now picking up on Anne's uh, final question there to pull out maybe just two final strands. Uh, You've made a very compelling case in the book and then tonight on the show that coaching, good coaching can really make a difference. And we've just heard regardless of age or stature. Mm -hmm. And to put it not in a trillion dollar phrase, but in the performance of a person in office, is somebody well coached by uh, Bill Campbell likely to be 2% better, 20% (laughs) better? So what do you think? I think um, this is Alan. I'm not sure I could put a number on it, uh, but it would be a substantial number if I yeah. did. I think that, and and you know, we have to make a point here that um, the Bill was a remarkable person and a unique person. Uh, sadly, no longer with us. Mm-hmm. And when we set out to write this book, you know, we could have told Bill stories and just had sort of a nice hagiography. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Eric said, no, that's not what we're going to do, because we really felt, we feel that these principles matter. We really discovered during the course of this book that he helped create the team at Google. He was a team coach, and that was kind of, I I think I said earlier, Mm -hmm. kind of a revelation to us. I think that everybody can learn to be a great coach. You don't have to go learn, you know, some coaching framework or get some certification or something. You have to learn, you know, these basic principles in the book I think can really help any good manager become a really good leader. So, you know, our objective for doing this was, yes, Bill was an incredibly unique person. No one else has the, you know, has the gravitas that he did, but anyone can do the things that we talk about in the book. Mm -hmm. And I think if you do the things, I mean, you really, you can't have a great team without doing these things. I I think, Mike, Mm -hmm. what I would say is, I mean, I think it is, for me, I'd say it's 100% better Mm -hmm. because... (laughs) Bill would say things to me like, you know, Jonathan, you're an executive. You're the sum of what your team produces. And so even if I'm only modestly better, but it's across multiple individuals, 
and it's coordinating those individuals and building camaraderie and esprit de corps and getting them to work better together and not to be at odds with each other. That's the difference between a winning and losing team. So, so I wouldn't personalize it and say he made me 100% better, but he made me 100% better at making a team more successful. Hmm. Yep. And it was the output of that team, which is, you know, what I was judged by, that was, you know, that fundamentally changed significantly because of the coaching that I had from him. And I think most of the other people who we talked to and interviewed would, would, would feel likewise. We've got about a minute before we need to wrap up and do a sign-off. And <clears throat> maybe beginning with Alan, with 30 seconds, what would you like listeners to most hang on to from what we've said tonight? Um, well, so it's been a pleasure to talk to you guys. Um, <laughs> Thank you. The point Thanks. we made earlier about bringing love into the workplace, uh, to break down, really to make the workplace more human, um, makes it more enjoyable, and makes us all better leaders. I'd also like to just quickly point out to everybody that uh, we have a SlideShare. If you use your favorite search engine and search for SlideShare Trillion Dollar mm -hmm. Coach, you'll find a PDF you can download that captures all of these principles. Uh, it's free, and uh, anyone, I hope people can access it and read it. Super. That's great. Jonathan. Um, I think the most, I, I think coaches are, are required to mold the smart creatives that drive success, particularly uh, today <laughs> in our faster-paced world, in the workplace, and any manager can be a great coach. You know, I think we're talking about this man of great gravitas and stature, but anyone can learn the leadership principles that we've been talking about today. Anybody can be a better, more active listener and build an envelope of trust with the people under their purview. Anybody can attack a new problem when it comes up by focusing on making sure that they have the right team. And anybody can work on fostering and building relationships in the workplace, on bringing love into the workplace, on showing people that they care, on cheering for people, on going out of their way to help people, whether they're senior or junior, and in building communities within the workplace and, 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 make, and, and, and building relationships and, and making them better for the purpose of, of driving a team. So All right, great. Alan and Jonathan, thank you so much. We really appreciate um, everything, including that final summary. Uh, the, the book is out there. The slides are out there. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you, guys. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.